Tonight, immunity rejected. A federal appeals court ruling that the prosecution can continue against former President Trump on alleged federal election subversion charges. And impeachment vote. He has engaged in a complete dereliction of duty. The House Republican effort to impeach the Homeland Security Secretary over the crisis at the border comes to a head. Plus, politics for people who hate politics. It's really important that when we engage in politics, we ask the Lord, like, how do you want me to show up? All this and more tonight on Faith Nation. Does an American president have absolute immunity? Good evening from a busy nation's capital. I'm John Jessup. Welcome to Faith Nation. Well, for years, Donald Trump's defense against criminal prosecution has been that he has presidential immunity. But that argument came crashing down today when a federal appeals court answered Trump's claim that he's immune from January 6th subversion charges. A three-judge panel on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals unanimously rejected arguments for, from the former president's legal team the immunity debate is part of a larger federal case accusing Trump of plotting to overturn the 2020 election results. Caitlin Burke has been following Trump's legal hurdles as they move through the courts, and she joins us now with today's latest. Caitlin, uh, what's the effect of today's ruling? John, this is a very comprehensive and clear-cut decision. An American president is not above the law. Judges rejected Donald Trump's claims of absolute immunity. They rejected claims that he was within the bounds of even more limited presidential immunity. And they rejected that a former president can only be indicted if he was first impeached. The judge is writing, quote, at bottom, former President Trump's stance would collapse our system of separated powers by placing the president beyond the reach of all three branches. John? So after the panel's decision was made public, what's next, Caitlin? Well, the circuit court says the case will be sent back down to the trial court next week unless it's appealed. In a statement today, the Trump team said that's exactly what they plan to do, writing in part, quote, Prosecuting a president for official acts violates the Constitution and threatens the bedrock of our republic. Meanwhile, in a response on Truth Social, Trump wrote, A nation-destroying ruling like this cannot be allowed to stand. If not overturned, as it should be, this decision would, be, would terribly injure not only the presidency, but the life, breath, and success of our country. Now, there are two options when it comes to an appeal. Trump's team can request a review by the full D.C. Circuit Court or appeal directly to the Supreme Court, which is what's expected. Then comes the question, will the high court hear the case? Legal experts I spoke with say it could go either way. I don't know whether the Supreme Court will take up that case or not. They, of course, have another uh, Trump-related case on the ballot right now, you know, I'm before them right now, having to do with the Colorado Supreme Court's disqualifying him from appearing uh, on the ballot. They have another case involving two January 6th defendants. Time will tell if the Supreme if the Supreme Court will take up the case, but it's clear Donald Trump's legal troubles will continue. As your guest just uh, mentioned, a lot of different cases there, hard to keep up. So what does this mean for the federal election subversion case specifically? Well, it all depends on what the Supreme Court decides to do. If the justices decline to weigh in and it goes back to the lower court, we could see a trial by the spring or early summer. If the high court does take it up, we likely won't see a trial before the 2024 presidential election. 
And a big concern with that option being if Donald Trump were to win the election before any federal convictions, he could order the Justice Department to drop all cases against him or even pardon himself. John? CBN national security correspondent Caitlin Burke. Thank you, Caitlin. Well, not far from here at our Washington studios over at the U.S. Capitol, House Republicans forged ahead with a high-stakes impeachment vote for Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas just as border politics takes center stage in Congress. CBN Capitol Hill correspondent Matt Galka joins us now with how the day's vote has been playing out. Matt. Well, John, you'd have to go back almost 150 years for the last time Congress moved to impeach a cabinet official. House Republicans hope to add Mayorkas to that list to underscore just how important fixing the border is to the country. House Republicans lodged two articles of impeachment, charging the Homeland Security Secretary with violating the law by allowing the release of migrants into the country and lying to Congress about the situation at the southern border. Secretary Mayorkas thinks what he is doing is just fine, but he could not be more wrong. Contrary to what the Secretary says, the border is not secure. America is in fact less safe because of his negligence and because of his numerous failures. I don't believe there's ever been a cabinet secretary who, who was so blatantly, openly, willfully, and without remorse did exactly the opposite of what the federal law requires him to do. Democrats defended the Biden administration official, arguing that no evidence existed of Mayorkas committing high crimes and misdemeanors. Impeachment is one of the most solemn, serious, somber things that we can do in this body. It's not something that ought to get thrown around lightly or invoked when you disagree with someone or you don't like their policies or you don't or you think they're doing a bad job it's something that should happen after a grave constitutional offense has been committed even republicans who voted against the measure maintain that the secretary's actions went beyond policy issues secretary mayorkas is guilty of maladministration of our immigration laws on a cosmic scale but we know that's not grounds for impeachment because the American founders specifically rejected it. The impeachment effort comes as the Senate bill tying new border security measures to aid for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan is all but dead. Made pretty clear to us uh, by the speaker that it will not become law. President Biden blames this latest failure on former President Donald Trump. Every day between now and November, the American people are going to know that the only reason the border is not secure is Donald Trump and his MAGA Republican friends. And it's been a very long day, so here in the 6 o'clock hour, members are about to vote on that impeachment measure, and it's expected to be very tight. One or two votes either way could mean the difference between a historic impeachment and the status quo. John. And Matt, down to the wire. So the impeachment situation is one we're going to continue to watch, but you also mentioned the border deal over in the Senate. Matt, if that's dead, what's next for aid in places like Israel and Ukraine? Well, the House will also be voting tonight on a standalone Israel bill that doesn't have any offsets or spending cuts elsewhere. A standalone bill is something the White House has said the president would veto and called it a political game. And over in the Senate, where that bipartisan border and aid bill was negotiated, Republicans will likely not even test a full Senate vote. And then it will be back to the drawing board. John. All right, CBN congressional correspondent Matt Galka. Thank you so much, Matt. Well, to tensions in the Middle East is a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas on the horizon. The Qatari prime minister says the terror group has responded, quote, positively to the latest framework for a deal. 
Secretary of State Antony Blinken is reviewing that response, and tomorrow he'll bring it up with the Israeli government. There's still a lot of work to be done, but we continue to believe that an agreement is possible and indeed essential, uh, and we will continue to work relentlessly to achieve it. As the prospects of a ceasefire grow, so does concern for those still being held captive by Hamas. According to a New York Times report, Israeli intelligence believes one-fifth of the remaining 136 hostages have already been killed. Meanwhile, internal investigations continue into the U.N. agency using employees Israel claims participated in October's terror attack. On Monday, the world body announced an external investigation into UNRWA. Uh, the United States is uh, pushing for an immediate and serious investigation into the allegations um, at UNRWA. Uh, Secretary General this morning just announced an independent review led by um, former French Foreign Minister Colonna on UNRWA policies and procedures. And meanwhile, we're going to continue to consult closely with other donors on how to continue to meet uh, urgent humanitarian uh, needs uh, in Gaza. The United States has suspended funding to UNRWA until the investigation concludes. Ali Kohanim served as Deputy Special Envoy to monitor and combat anti-Semitism under President Trump. She joins us now for more. Ellie, welcome to you. So the Biden administration, after suspending UNRWA funding, says it's redirecting money to other groups in Gaza, including the World Food Program, UNICEF, and others. Ellie, your thoughts on that move? It's the right move, and what we need to see is the Biden administration permanently defund UNRWA. Um, your audience might remember that under the Trump administration, we took those steps because UNRWA has a long history of things like um, indoctrinating Palestinian children to hate Jews. We reviewed their textbooks and saw just the most uh, heinous anti-Semitic content, things like how many martyrs uh, does it take to... Um, blow up Jews. I mean, just, just, just the most awful stuff in these textbooks. And, uh, and of course, with the revelations we've seen recently of not just the 15 or so uh, UNRWA employees who participated in the October 7th massacre, but, but thousands of UNRWA employees who are tied to Hamas in some way has really made this um, an agency that the United Nations, the United States taxpayer uh, wants to have no relationship with. And so it really behooves the Biden administration to cut off UNRWA and find permanent other avenues for helping Palestinian citizens. Ellie, since October, U.S. bases and ships in the Middle East have suffered some 160 attacks. Uh, has the U.S.-U.K. joint military response been strong enough, and will it ever eventually deter further attacks against our interests? John, we know these uh, the U.S. response is not strong enough because the Houthis, who are uh, an Iranian proxy, and continuing these attacks against uh, American international uh, commercial shipping in an effort to drive up prices um, as commercial shipping st starts to avoid the Red Sea area and hurting the American consumer and international consumer. So the Houthis are continuing these attacks despite American retaliation and, and the Biden administration must understand that um, the Houthis were able to, for many years, skirmish with our U.S. allies, with the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates. They have a long history of doing this, and uh, and it's going to 
require some serious response from the Biden administration. We've seen a lot of weakness uh, from Joe Biden, and we've seen him um, communicate a lot of uh, weakness where he's constantly saying that he wants to avoid escalation. And uh, Joe Biden needs to understand in the Middle East, the way to avoid escalation is by projecting strength and, and using all military options on the table. Speaking of President Biden, we know he and Israeli Prime Minister have been at odds about the future plans. Bibi Netanyahu vowing that the Gaza war will not end until Israel kills all the leaders of Hamas. So far, it's defeated half of Hamas's overall forces in Gaza. Ellie, do you think that goal is realistic? John, what I do know is that the Israelis need to be given the time and the space to carry out this war effort to uh, whatever extent they need to to achieve their definition of success and victory. And John, right now there's two things going on. Um, there, The United States Congress and Senate are looking at Israel aid bills. Speaker Johnson has uh, has put out a standalone Israel aid bill. And, uh, and this is what the Israelis re really desperately need right now from the United States. We're going to have to leave it right there. Ellie Kohanim, thank you so much for joining us tonight with your insights. Thanks for having me. Coming up, it's a presidential primary day. The first test in the West unfolding in Nevada. All that and more just two minutes away. Welcome back. Democratic and Republican voters are casting their ballots in Nevada's first in the West primary election. But there's also a wrinkle for Republicans there. Voters are able to cast ballots in dueling Republican nominating contests, resulting in two separate winners. Nikki Haley likely will win tonight's GOP primary, in which Trump is not participating, but the win won't earn any delegates. Those get doled out during the GOP state caucuses this Thursday. With Nikki, Bailey, Nikki Haley rather off the ballot, former President Trump is certain to win all 26 Nevada delegates. For his part, President Biden is betting on an easy primary win, Nevada will get a lot more interesting in the general election as a battleground state. Well, the 2024 presidential election is just nine months away. Can you believe it? And new polling shows partisan divides growing deeper. So one reveals more than 80% worry the shift could lead to political violence. In today's divisive atmosphere, one author offers a way to engage in political brokenness in a way that honors biblical teaching, the hope of bringing change for the better. White House correspondent Abigail Robertson reports. Working in politics for more than 20 years, Denise Gitchum knows many Christians approach it much like the world does, as a blood sport. In her book, Politics for People Who Hate Politics, she offers tangible tips for how to lovingly engage without losing friends in the process. I really think the onus of unity starts within the body of Christ, because we are the ones that are called to unite. Gitchum tells CBN News the Bible makes it clear this calling is non-negotiable. There's over 179 verses in scripture that speak to the importance of unity in the body of Christ. And how we treat each other, that's ground zero for what the world is watching and what our witness really is. Complete with endorsements from politicians on both sides, she believes this book can help Christians flip the script on political discord by loving those who disagree with us. When you're in politics, you can feel like that person on the other side of an issue is your enemy in the moment, even if they have more in common with you because of your shared identity in Christ. Gitchum believes Christians should play a role in shaping our government, but only by seeking the Lord while doing so. 
I think it's really important that when we engage in politics, we ask the Lord, like, how do you want me to show up? What is your main mission here? And Lord, protect my heart from falling into the political spirit, which I just call politics as usual. It's so easy to adopt the world's way of doing things. In her role as a political commentator, she discourages disengaging from political conversations while providing tangible advice on how to foster unity. I don't think that anyone benefits from just saying, I'm not going to be involved in this conversation. Because when we can't speak the truth, the truth on the perspective that God has given us, we feel like we can't really be in relationship because that other person is never going to know what you really stand for. And when you aren't able to speak your truth, you feel like you're compromising yourself. In her book, Gitchum shares firsthand lessons gleaned from her own political experience. Having been a candidate for Congress, I really felt like so often I'd walk into a church and I, would, I could sense that there was something unholy about how they were engaging with me as a politician. And warns against being overcome by a political spirit. What it does is it ends up manifesting in, in a way that causes us to not love other people. It turns us into distrustful people. It turns us into people who see things through an earthly lens instead of from a heavenly perspective. Reminding believers first and foremost to be ambassadors of Christ. Everywhere we go, we're bringing kingdom principles and kingdom values into the conversation. We're bringing kingdom hope and we're bringing a perspective that's not earthly but heavenly. Gitchin believes given their position as America's single largest voting bloc, Christians could completely transform politics for the better by first committing to love each other and unite around the principles of God. Abigail Robertson, CBN News. Great reminders. Thank you so much, Abby. Well, coming up, conspiracy theories surrounding the October 7th terror attack in Israel. We explore the truth claims causing the Jewish state to speak up. Welcome back. Conspiracy theory has been spreading online claiming Hamas did not carry out the brutal terrorist attack in Israel last year. CBN reporter Dale Hurd brings us this look at what's being called the October 7th Truther Movement. This is day 16 of your daily reminder that Israel, not Hamas, is responsible for the massacre of Israeli civilians on October 7, 2023. Called October 7th Truthers, this group believes Israel was behind the attack that killed 1,200 Israelis that fateful day. It entered the mainstream when an Oakland City employee blamed Israel for the attack during a city council meeting. There's not been beheadings of babies and rapings. Israel murdered their own people on October 7th. This Israeli military helicopter footage has been used to claim that the IDF intentionally fired on its own citizens. And in the conspiracy forum on Reddit with 2 million members, a person writes, there is a 100% chance that Israel is behind all of this. It's not like they don't have a long track record of false flag terrorism. Another writes, the world is a stage run by the Sons of Zion. The October 7th massacre of Israelis by Hamas is one of the most well-documented crimes in history, live-streamed for the world to see. And yet October 7th denial is spreading. This is the ultimate fake news. Rabbi Abraham Cooper of the Simon Wiesenthal Center says anti-Semitism since October 7th has skyrocketed. And those who have not experienced it personally 
Uh, all they have to do is go up on social media. It's pervasive. It's increasing. Social media is tailor-made for conspiracy theories. You can manipulate photos, videos, information to, to bend it to whatever your uh, reality is, including creating a, a flat earth, whatever it might be. Cooper said the Jewish community was already in crisis mode before October 7th. Now the Anti-Defamation League says Jews face a threat level unprecedented in modern history. In December, almost 200 Jewish organizations across the U.S. were targeted with swatting incidents, false reports to the police of shootings or bomb threats. This Alabama synagogue had to be evacuated during a Shabbat service because of a bomb threat. People are, are on edge. They're nervous and we're going to continue to reassure them that it's safe to come to services. Even the anti-Semitism on college campuses is being called a false flag created by Jews. The website Gray Zone says it's a contrived campus anti-Semitism crisis. Cooper says no amount of evidence will change the minds of those who want to believe a conspiracy theory. The Nazis worked so hard to cover up their crimes and to erase evidence of the crimes. Hamas, they were live streaming it. We have people, they don't want to be confused by the facts. They don't want their worldview to be interrupted, even if it involves crimes against humanity and, and possible genocide. Dale Hurd, CBN News. Thanks, Dale. Still ahead, a special Valentine's Day card collection for kids to learn a lot more about than just love. Stay tuned. And finally tonight, a second grade teacher in Ohio has come up with a unique way to help her students learn geography. It's called the Spread the Love Project. Well, throughout the year, Ms. Coleman's second grade class collects Valentine's Day cards from across the country. Once the cards arrive, her students mark the location and the return address on, on a map, helping them to learn the cities and states where the cards were sent from. And that is going to do it for this edition of Faith Nation. So appreciate your time. Thank you so much. And we hope to see you right back here tomorrow.